0: Hi folks, Steve Urban here. Today's episode of the Rider Flex podcast is sponsored by Marketing 360. My good friend J.B. Kellogg and his team do such a fantastic job for us and so many other companies. Marketing 360 is the number one platform for small business and it's everything you need to grow your business. If you need marketing support, I really encourage you to contact them at marketing360.com/riderflex and we'll add that link to the description of this episode for easy reference. And on today's episode of the Riderflex podcast, we have guest Shannon Block. She's an accomplished CEO and entrepreneur. The former CEO of the Denver Zoo and currently the executive director and chief operations officer for Skillful, which is part of the Markle Foundation skillful works with employers, educators, policymakers and others to help Americans without college degrees get good jobs based on the skills they have or the skills they can learn. Cool. Cool. That's super casual by the way. Laid back. I'm uh, I'm uh, just a regular guy. Just a regular kid that grew up in Oklahoma so it's nothing fancy here. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, all right, any questions before we get rolling?
1: Now let's do
0: it. Okay. Shannon Block on the Rider Flex podcast. How you doing, Shannon?
1: I'm doing great. How are you?
0: Hanging in there since it's July 2nd, 2020, when we're uh, recording this, by the way, in case somebody's listening a year from now. What uh, crazy times we're, we're in right now, huh? Yeah, definitely. Uh, COVID threw
1: us all for a, a loop, I think.
0: For sure. I like your background, by the way. Very cool. That virtual background you got going on there.
1: Thank you. I am try to keep my creativity by mixing up my backgrounds.
0: <laughs> Very nice. I, you like it. it. It makes you feel like you're in different places sometimes, maybe, even if you're not.
1: Yeah, it makes my house look cleaner.
0: <laughs> that too. It hides all the <laughs> stuff, right? It hides all the stuff behind me. Uh, My uh, office at home is down in the basement, which uh, has not been remodeled in a long time. So I I would hate for people to actually see the uh, background. (laughs) Um, Thanks so much for joining us. I appreciate it. Awesome career, great background, interesting story, and love what you're doing with Skillful. I did a lot of homework on you uh, last night and this morning and listened to some other podcasts you were on. So love your, your profile and your background. Before we get into the career stuff, though, hit us hit us with the personal overview. Where did Shannon grow up? Tell us about her family a little bit, why you went to, you know, George Washington. Give us some personal stuff.
1: Sure. So I grew up in Minnesota. And so every now and then you will hear the accent when I say boat or the O's come out. Okay. Um, I went to George Washington because back in the day, I wanted to be president of the United States. Are you the, serious? Yeah, the job, the job doesn't look that great anymore, I don't think, but um, <laughs> originally, that is why I wanted to go to the nation's capital. Um, I remember being in the uh, beginning you know, orientation class and there's like 300 people in the class and they're like, raise your hand if you came here because you want to be president. And like everybody raised their hand and I'm like, oh, I better find a different path, like competitive differentiation early, you know? So I ended up studying, well, I started in philosophy. And then my my grandpa said to me, well, like what, what job are you going to get being a philosopher? And I'm like, it's a good point, but it's critical thinking skills. Uh, but I ended up doing physics and then had to learn math to do physics, but.
0: Were you great uh, at math in, in high school? Were you great at math already? Pretty strong?
1: Um, no, not necessarily. I It was more, Um, I learned it because to understand physics, I had to learn math. And so yeah. it was a bit yeah. of a language thing that, you know, you need to, to understand, like, Quantum mechanics and stuff like that. That oh, why now, physics now, now your listeners just turned off. They're like, <laughs> quantum mechanics, no. Boom. But uh, give it a chance sometimes. Well, why?
0: Know? Yeah. Why physics though? Why'd you go that path?
1: Um, I liked. I I ask a lot of questions. I've always asked a lot of questions. Um, and I'm naturally curious. But I really did like quantum mechanics because. It was the first time that science wasn't just a bunch of balls bouncing and you know yeah. measuring stuff that seemed more boring to me. It was like what we pay attention to matters and it changes the entire experiment. And that was just sort of blew my mind and I almost didn't think it was true. So I wanted to understand it and I, then I got the privilege of of understanding that so okay
0: uh, okay brothers sisters are you the only child what's the story am, at home
1: I am an only child a single okay. mom I have a daughter who's eight years old and we just got back from Moab so we did oh. we did our vacation after you know four months of Quarantine, we decided to hit the road and try to see nature before everyone does on the Fourth of July break. And
0: Uh so she. Do you have uh, do you have ATVs? Do you have like campers, tents, with jeeps? What? What? Tell me about it.
1: Oh my goodness! The best thing that happened to me during COVID is I did penny up to get the inflatable kayak on Amazon, and I'm like, Mm -hmm. you know, you have to inflate it yourself, so it takes a little bit of work, but it's like. The perfect way to socially distance you just go find a lake and inflate your kayak and go out there you don't even have to be good but just to sit out there in nature it's uh pretty cool what I, what I needed
0: pretty cool pretty cool. tent camp or, or did you have a place did you rent a place what'd you do are you because Moab is a, yeah, I mean, uh, a, a
1: good question so I did end up getting a kind of like a it's, it's part of a hotel, but it was separate from the hotel, so I didn't have to do the elevator and everything, but I literally brought the Clorox wipes, and I spent like two hours cleaning the place <laughs> before we stayed there, and I took the remote controls, and I put them in little plastic bags, <laughs> used them in the plastic bags, you know, COVID vacations are a little uh, different these days, but it was still beautiful.
0: <laughs> good. Good for you. I'm a big, uh, you know, living in Colorado, I go to the mountains all the time myself and boy, it's wonderful to uh, get up, to get up, uh, in the mountains and just get away. So uh, I can totally relate. So what, what's your folks do in Minnesota? What'd your parents do?
1: Uh, my parents are both, uh, physicians. So my mom was a, a top eye surgeon and my dad was a, a brain doctor. And so what, fam- okay. Family dinners, you know, like my mom would have like an eyeball on the TV in the corner that she'd be like cutting and studying what she did that day, and I'm like, we're eating, and so I never became a doctor. I, I got grossed out at an early age.
0: No, no pressure from them to be a doctor, right? Were they just like they were super supportive, whatever you wanted to do? Or?
1: I should say medical doctor. I am gonna finish my doctorate in computer science this year, but yeah, I don't, I don't use knives on people. <laughs>
0: Uh, are they still in Minnesota, retired? They
1: actually or? moved to Colorado, so they live in Golden, really close to me, and it's nice to have them around, so especially yeah, but, in, with everything going on in the world right now, I like to have them them close by.
0: Well, they want to be next to that eight-year-old granddaughter, right? I mean, hey, that's yeah. a huge plus, right? Okay, yeah. very good. Very good. Walk us into your career. So you you finish George Washington. You decide to go on to get your MBA. Um And then walk us into your early career. Go ahead.
1: Um, So.
0: Deloitte recruited you right out of school?
1: No, 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 no. I met a boy in a bar in boston and he brought me to colorado and so my first job was actually so boulder colorado i worked at wild oats market office so yeah and i sat right next to the sample room where you got to like try all the stuff and i was a vegetarian at the time so it was great Um, cool well you fit right in
0: you you fit right in
1: (laughs) and then i went into uh PricewaterhouseCoopers and Deloitte, and they taught me a lot. Um, and then became an executive at a hospital, and then became a CEO of uh, 21 uh, cancer care locations across Colorado. Then I ran a zoo and led safaris all over the world, and led a world, f- uh, a world forward foundation and. You know, I've had a lot of adventures and, you know, there's a lot of chapters left too. So,
0: (laughs) well, you know, I have to ask you when you were at Deloitte, at that time, were you thinking, I want to be a C level executive and run a company? I want to start my own company. Like, what were you thinking long term for your career at that point before you became CEO of the Denver Zoo? Before that, what were you, what was the plan? What were you thinking?
1: Yeah, I think when I was at Deloitte, I wanted to, well, first of all, I just love learning. So it gave me the opportunity to learn so many different industries and fields that I was enjoying the journey and not as focused on, you know, what's the next step. But if anything, I wanted to be a partner. Um, But then I, when I became a senior manager and everyone was going for partner, I sort of realized what I really would like to be as a CEO. I think that's different than a partner sort of at a consulting firm. And so I said, I'm gonna leave and I'm gonna be a CEO for a while. And then I'm gonna come back as a partner. And I announced that confidently. And then I didn't, I didn't end up going back, but I'm still in touch with a lot of the people at Deloitte
0: what drove you to that was there a ceo or two you met while you were working at deloitte that you thought "Mm, i want to be like them or i yeah i want to do that or i can do that better what what was there a
1: trigger point there um i think it's just the ability to create like the ceo with the board sets the the strategy and the 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 pathway for the company and when i was at deloitte I was doing global innovation, so I was able to take these small projects and turn them into big new initiatives. But a CEO gets to do that at like the organization level. So I think hmm. you know it's rooted in in the ability okay. to create.
0: Did you ever think to yourself you were going to be the, running a zoo someday?
1: <laughs> no, th- no, that was an amazing adventure. Like. I got to you know got to lead safaris in Africa and you know I always tell people because Africa is expensive like uh, 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 Churchill Canada is pretty affordable and you can go stay in you know the most expensive hotels like 110 bucks a night but you go up there for a couple of days and you go in this rubber boat in the middle of the Hudson Bay and it's just this ghetto little rubber boat and there's this. Uh, person that plays cello in the boat. And then you jump out of the boat and the beluga whales all swim around you because the cello makes the same noise as the belugas. And so you get that experience and then you can go see polar bears in the wild on a tundra buggy. You're like nine feet off the air, uh, off the ground because, uh, you know, they can, eat you and scalp you and so you need to stay (laughs) safe but i i certainly didn't think i would be leading those type of adventures
0: (laughs) i mean yeah that had to be a pretty cool job what and so you did you were the denver zoo ceo until 17 why'd you leave there did you did you think okay i'm done here i want to do something different what what was the walk us through that next change for you
1: yeah you know um it was a great adventure. Um, you know, there's more politics in zoos than you probably (laughs) imagine. Everyone's got a favorite animal and not a favorite animal and they want this and they want that. And it's very expensive to run a zoo. Um, so I enjoyed it, but I also had the opportunity to lead a foundation world forward where we got to work on healthcare issues where people, exposed to nuclear radiation all over the globe and thinking about how do they access care and treatment? So just a very different, um, problem. You know, I, I don't see myself, um, probably running zoos in the future. I might sit on boards of them, but it's just, you know, I don't know if you saw that movie, we bought a zoo where it's
0: like, it's
1: the people like, I love the animals, but I, you know, it's the people that, that, sort of are the problems that, that I like to solve. And so, mm-hmm. so right now with Skillful, you know we've got 45 million people unemployed looking to connect to opportunity. Their world's been turned upside down. The future of work is accelerating. And now I get to work with companies like Microsoft and Boeing and Walmart and Google to say, Amazon, how do we help people go from low wage work to better wage work. And I get to solve those type of problems now. And so mm-hmm. I do miss like the cuddling of the, the baby lion, and <laughs> those type of perks. But um, there's something that speaks to me as an individual in connecting um, With people, the people to opportunity in a systematic way.
0: So, world, world forward was that your first? Not is that nonprofit? I think they are. Was that your first nonprofit?
1: Yeah. Was
0: that your first nonprofit experience? And then from there, because you had that, then Markle reached out to you and said, "Hey, come over here. We need you to run this." Is that what happened?
1: Basically, more more or less. (laughs) Um, But you know, I think what happened first is, you know, a lot of people look at my career career and they're like, "How did I get to do all these different things?" Right? Like I, I I'm always reinventing myself. I'm always picking a different problem to solve. And I sort of have the the privilege of being able to solve it with great people. And I think it starts with just sort of self-reflection of where do you want to go? Like it's a big old universe and there's lots of opportunities. And sometimes we feel like we're trapped in these little, you know, like the networks we have or in the bubble we have or in the industry we have, or I only know how to do this or that. But you know, I've always viewed folks as containing like so much potential and talent that they just don't realize and activate. Realize. And so I, I view other people that way, but I also think about my, my own opportunities that way. Um, and that's how I've been able to stay in a space where I'm solving problems. I really like to solve.
0: Tell us, tell the listeners about Skillful. Give us, you know, let's just say they've never heard of it. They're listening to this podcast and they're like, okay, well, what the heck is that? Give them the Skillful overview, if you don't mind.
1: Yeah, so what Skillful does is really um, thinks about, we work in local communities, but we look at America as a whole and say, where's our country going? Okay, we know 70% of America does not have a four-year college degree. And that's okay, that's fine, it's fine. There's lots of ways to get education and skills that are not all a four-year college degree, but that's sort of the base. And then we've got this environment where pre-COVID, by 2030, one in three people had to upskill or reskill to avoid persistently depressed wages. So we've got a need to provide training and access and opportunity to our country systematically And we don't necessarily have the infrastructure to do that. And so a lot of what we do is test new things in local communities. And then what works, we scale rapidly. And so, unfortunately, as you know, in workforce, it takes like a ton of words to say anything. Like at the zoo, I could be like, do you want to play with a baby lion? And they'd be like, yes. <laughs> but work of course takes a little bit longer to um, explain, but it's really important to people's livelihoods. So what we do is we work with employers to help them hire based on skills. Um, so an example is when you're hiring as a CEO, you might think, well, everyone surely had the same path I did. So I'll just say, you need all these credentials and proxies and I'll put it all in the job description and I'll find the perfect person. But what that doesn't recognize is there's a lot of peop- different ways people acquire skills. For example, if you're fixing cars in your neighbor's um, garage for the last 10 years, but you don't have a bachelor's in engineering, you might have the perfect skills I need to, to work in my shop. So how do, how do we think about communicating what we need to find the talent? Um, for our business. We work with employers and then we work with career coaches. So a lot of people aren't aware there's a lot of free career resources and coaches at workforce centers, at nonprofits, at higher ed institutions. And so people can go to these career coaches for free to help think through how do they they think about the next step in their careers and so what we do as a foundation is we work with all these big companies and big data and all this stuff to make sure those career coaches have the the tools and resources they need to best advise someone how to connect to opportunity i see if that, yeah and then if that's not enough we also work with educators to make sure we have employable graduates so how do we focus a curriculum on um, the employability of graduates and and frankly in that space this is such an exciting time to think about um you know reskilling or training because we're seeing so many resources available for free right now like you don't have to do the formal route if you don't want to. Like an example in Colorado is contact tracer, right? We're going to have 2000 more contact tracer jobs with COVID that are opening up and they don't require a four year college degree. And you can go on Coursera's website right now Mm -hmm. and you can just take that class for free and learn how to do it. And so when you apply to the job. You could put that you took that Coursera course right on the top of your resume um, and have a leg up and it didn't even cost you any money and so i'm excited um, to see some of the new the new training that's coming out to help job seekers connect to opportunity faster
0: and and is skillful it's funded all by donations or do the do the companies pay you something to get connected to the candidates that are retrained, to the career coaches? What's the business model?
1: (laughs) What's the the business model? Yeah, so we're a private foundation. And so at the core, we're a private foundation. So we'll give out grants um, and we're self-funded. That being said, we do take donations. Microsoft gave us a very generous donation, um, also Walmart everything that we do and share is free for the job seeker and in most cases we're empowering a system that already exists for the job seeker for example like a lot of people don't know what workforce centers are but they're these places that you can go and get free help with your resume they have access to the best jobs and and tools and you know it's an easy way to go explore what what might be next
0: you know there's got to be people that will listen to this and go hold on a minute you you're telling (laughs) me that you're telling me that i can get free resume help free career coaching i maybe i didn't go to school but you can help me get a a very good job and show me the right and i don't have to pay you anything i mean that's
1: exactly exactly and so sometimes that's why i want to share it and so what do you google you google wherever you live and the word workforce center That's the first thing you could do, Um, and it's free. So in a lot of cases, a lot of the workforce centers now will do virtual consults too, if you're not comfortable going into a location. So, and their success is measured on their ability to get you a job while they're helping you for free.
0: (laughs) I, I see, okay. You know, something that I thought about when I was studying you and looking up Skillful, uh, I was interviewing somebody from the robotics uh, space uh, about six months ago, a couple of people, matter of fact. And, uh, you know, we talked about, hey, w- what's going to happen? More robots, uh, you know, people that have all these skills get unemployed. What, 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 what happens to the workforce? Um, boy, you guys might be, uh, you, you might be pretty busy retraining people in the next uh, 10, 15, 20 years as things move along, right? As, as more jobs are eliminated and people have to change their skill set. What are your thoughts on that?
1: first thing is people need to recognize there's a lot of transferable skills so you you have so much talent already you might not have to go back for training is number one right Mm. so like an example you said robotics um one of the fun examples of a person we worked with is a company that was hiring people to do fiber optics these tiny little motions with their hands they had to do and place things you know it's a Uh good it's a good job and they and we helped them fix the job description to be skills based and so they talked about that motion that they have to do with their hands and the robotics and the little optics and they actually ended up hiring a sushi chef because the sushi chef had all the exact same fine motor skills that they needed for the job interesting So I I think the first answer is is really think about the skills that you've acquired and how they might be transferable to a different industry or a different job. For example, Mm -hmm. I didn't have any experience with animals before I got the zoo job, but that wasn't what the zoo needed. They needed someone that understood strategy and um, finance and skills that I had gotten at Rocky Mountain Cancer Centers. That being said, if you do feel that you need training or or upskilling, I think we live in a world now where you can do that more surgically. Like you can say, I don't need to go be a doctor of everything. If I think about where I want to go, there might be a shorter, non traditional way that I can get that training for cheaper. And so I would encourage the the job seeker to navigate um, a lot of the resources that are that are out there in that space and one of the things that i always look for is how is the curriculum aligned to employability like like has the person that is teaching the training thought about the job you're going to have in the future and if they Mm -hmm. have they haven't that might not be the best program (laughs)
0: Mm -hmm. very good okay very good let me ask you this so it's not just for people that didn't go to school this is not just I want to kind of emphasize that right here. If you look, if you go to skillful and you go to the website, it's not just for people that didn't have a chance to get a, get a degree. It's for all kinds of, like you said, retraining or career help. It doesn't, you know, it, it, it's not just for that non degreed person. Is that accurate? Is that, is that right? Oh, did I hang up?
1: Yeah, that's absolutely accurate um, because even getting a degree you're not one and done that's not the way this economy works now it's it's lifelong learning right and so you're you're enhancing your skills as you grow and as you learn and sometimes you're doing that on the job and sometimes you're doing that through training programs at different points in your life
0: Mm. what do you think about these uh people saying oh you don't need a degree anymore you can google everything and you don't you you know school's not is not the investment it used to be what are your thoughts on that
1: i think um a lot of um bachelors and higher level programs do show an roi i'm excited for the job seeker i i'm a return on investment i do think now states are making more of that data public. So if you are making that type of investment as a job seeker, why not go look at what? How much money did the students make that left afterwards? You know, I think consumers can make smarter decisions now around which paths they take, um, and I think you know, for me, I've got my bachelor's in physics, my bachelor's in math, my master's in physics, I'm finishing my doctorate in computer science. I I love learning, so that was the right path for me. And so I think it's more about as a CEO or an executive when I'm hiring, I don't need to find me, right? I need to find the person that can best do the job And if I'm trying to find the person that can best do the job, I have to realize there's a lot of different pathways to help to get you there. And so I think, you know, our society, sometimes we look at the four-year degree and we say, well, that's grit. And that's determination. And that's why I put that on there. And I think when people are taking it off, it's a bit of a recognition of, hey, that is grit and determination, but maybe there's other ways to show that too. And maybe if that's what I really care about, I should just say that and then let the job seeker prove to me how they demonstrated that. So it's, it's, mm. it's not anti-degree by any means. It's more just bringing dignity and respect to the different ways that people acquire skills throughout their life.
0: That's good stuff, Shannon. That's good stuff. I like that. Okay, very good. What's the uh, biggest uh, difference between being a CEO of a nonprofit and 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 for profit company? What have you seen? Biggest differences?
1: Oh, it's got to be mission. It's a, such the mission driven focus with nonprofits is is if you don't have that, don't go into nonprofit. Like it's very it's very um, central to everything everybody does. I remember at the zoo. Um, we had a meeting with a bunch of uh, the directors and the top folks and, you know, I hadn't worked at zoos before with animals and I said something about the guests, like we gotta serve guests, you know, (laughs) like in for profit, it's like you have customers and guests, like this is no brainer (laughs) and someone raised their hand and said to me in sort of a snarky way, they're like, you know, we're not here to serve the guests. (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and I was like oh, okay, this is nonprofit. And so I said, instead of saying, you know, the guests matter, I said, you know, how are we going to save animals if people don't support our work? So mm-hmm. I think there's a subtlety in always going back to the mission when you're nonprofit, um, that is uh non-negotiable, if you will. Whereas okay. Um, maybe it could be a bit more subtle. You could get away with it in for-profit, but they'll mm-hmm. eat you alive in nonprofit if you uh, if you if you don't have a clear sense of the mission and where you're going.
0: You touched on uh, dealing with uh, boards and board members. What what advice would you give the new CEO that's getting ready for their first quarterly board meeting? <laughs>
1: uh, oh yeah, boards are you know <clears throat> boards. Boards are uh, something (laughs) to be managed carefully, right? Um, You know, I think about it the same way I think about skills, right? And so there's a lot of people that want all kinds of things. They want this on the board or that on the board or the board wants this or that. To me, it really goes back to what kind of company are you trying to grow? What's the vision? And what are the type of capabilities that you need to get there? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I care less for future board members if they had the title CEO like that's not a big whoop to me like some people it is they're like you have to be a CEO and if you're not a CEO you can't be the board on the board. I I don't think that logic is going to hold forever. I, I, I think nominating committees and CEOs that work with nominating committees of the board should clearly define the skill sets and competencies needed for additional board members and then express those needs and do that search in a way that's not just, oh, this is my friend that thinks like me, but instead say, here's the real skills we need. Let's take off some of the titles and labels and proxies and really get to the core of what we're looking for and then go recruit for that um, would be nice excellent a great company
0: <laughs> mm, good stuff right there shannon how about this you know you became an executive at a pretty early age much earlier than probably the average right i mean the the average age of a ceo i don't know i didn't google that this morning but it's older than you <laughs> and so you became an executive super early and female executive which is also a super low percentage as as we know uh, unfortunately talk to me about Talk to the listener about some advice on how to break through to the executive level. What should they do and focus on to get there? Let's, let's start with that. And then I'll follow up with a couple of CEO questions, but how to, I'm a, I'm a young, uh, I'm a young woman at at a manager level and I want to be an executive. What advice would you give her today?
1: So I think there's a lot of different ways to get there. Um, So, I can share my path, but there's lots of different paths. So let me acknowledge that to start. Um, For me, the biggest achievement in my life was really becoming a manager for the first time. It sounds silly, but like breaking into management was the first time that I was responsible for other people and less being more of a solo star. You know, it was this entire mind shift Mm -hmm. changed when I was responsible for other people and so even the the pride that I felt when I first became a manager that that sticks with me to this day like that was I broke through to management you know like because I felt like there was a wall even getting there um but but then once I got there for me I was very mindful to not be um typecast. Like you're the finance person, you're the marketing person, you're the operations person. And so the way I navigated my career is I wanted excellence in each of those areas, because Mm. that gave me the broad expertise that when you're sitting down with a board and interviewing to be the CEO, you can speak to the competencies Mm. across the different areas. And then I think if you are in a situation where you're just the finance guy, and they just see you as the finance guy, not the CEO, maybe you need to move companies. Like maybe you need to go somewhere where people see you differently, or then you act differently, and people see you differently. And so, I think, however you get unstuck in whatever label someone's decided to put on you for the day, I, I think, I think that helps. Um, Good I stuff. do think. I do think being a a young CEO um and now that I've got a little more water under the bridge is you you get you rise fast often because you have some winning strategy that works right and I had I had some early on that were like, I got strategic planning, right? I got that you have a vision, vision, mission and values. You have strategic imperatives, they're rocks in the road. Try to say like three of them, try to say it very clearly and over and over again, align your strategic plan to that and look if you have the right resources to support that. I learned that became part of my DNA early on as an executive And it was like my blankie, and I think it serves me well. And so if you have to pick something, it's not a bad thing to to pick. I think, you know, it also is a lot of stress when you become an executive early on because you haven't developed all the different kind of winning strategies. You have one, and you're trying to do yours, And that almost creates blinders for you that you might not see. And so one of the things I've enjoyed about being an executive over time is now a lot of my style is looking at the people around me and trying to understand what's their winning strategy. What's their thing that's made them successful to this point and how can I play play that with other people's winning strategies. And so it's become a lot less about me and a lot more about the the complicated human dynamics that make us each successful. And how do you bring that to the table? And so I still use a lot of the best practices I did early on, but um, I'd say I'm a lot more relaxed now. And I also uh, can see a lot more talent in people as well as how people can resolve conflict to, to be better teammates
0: very good this is this next question could probably take us into a two-hour podcast but maybe you could give us a couple of quick 30,000 foot answers you know why aren't there more female CEOs and and what's the quickest way for us to to continue changing that in your opinion um, I know it's a big question but I thought you could touch on it real quick
1: uh yeah that's a, that is a 2 hour podcast um, i think i i think you know we're living in a world now that values diversity and inclusion and is finding the words to talk about those things in a way that feels more authentic to people and so i uh, about about where we're headed in that space um at the individual level um you have to ask and you have to try right i mean i can't i'm sure i got rejected from a ceo job before i can't i don't i don't keep it in my mind so i can't tell you which one it was but like for the women out there listening just do it keep applying keep trying Look at the skills that they need in that job. Put those skills up top on your resume. Look at your LinkedIn. Look at who you're networked with. Call someone and say, hey, could you introduce me to this board member at this company that's doing the CEO search? Like, play the game. I think, um, you know, if opportunity doesn't knock, which sometimes it doesn't for, for, for folks, build a door you know like go get it if, if you know the person hiring is going to be at a gala or is going to be at some event go to that event and go talk to them go network and you know i think that's i have a lot good. of advice but maybe we start there <laughs>
0: that's pretty good that's pretty good by the way you you touched on you know linkedin you mentioned that for those people listening to this podcast, if you go to Shannon Block's LinkedIn profile, her summary portion there's this nice summary that you should have on your LinkedIn profile. And Shannon's summary of her career and what she's about and what she's done is excellent. It's one of the better ones I've seen. And of course, Rider Flex is a recruiting firm, so I look at LinkedIn profiles all day long, right? And your Aww. summary, the summary that you wrote there, or if you had somebody write it, I'm sure you did it in combination or whatever but it's really good so for those people wondering how to write a good summary on your LinkedIn profile go to Shannon's go to Shannon's and take a look
1: <laughs> oh I I appreciate that I had not gotten that feedback but I'll tell you um one of the things I I did with that and I need to do it more and take a look at it but um especially for board roles or executive roles you want to be in, you can Google what people look for, right? And you can Google what are the words that they care about when they do their searches. So what, where, whatever your dream is, where you want to go figure out what the people who hire look for in that space and then go fill your LinkedIn profile with it. Cause it might help you get a leg up when people are, are doing a search,
0: right? You, you know, I was going to compliment you on the end, at the end of the interview on this, but I'll mention it now. What you just said there really ties to kind of good common sense. It's, obviously, it's obvious by looking at your profile that, you're, that your IQ is super high, right? Based on your, your education and the things you've done, but your EQ and your common sense is also super high. <laughs> and that advice you just gave right there is just good common sense. I appreciate you mentioning that. Let me ask you a couple of more things here as we get towards wrap up. So if you had to define Shannon's core purpose in life right now, if I ask you to say, tell me what your core purpose is and let's, let's, let's move it away from family for a minute. So don't try try to say, okay, let's set family aside. What's your professional core purpose in life today?
1: Whoa, it's loaded. But um I think I get joy out of seeing the best in other people and connecting and, and helping them. And I do that from an identity standpoint of me being Shannon Block, not a company, not a not a image, not a, you know, it's not, I don't do it for anybody. I do it for me because it's the type of world that I want to live in. And I also um, want to continue to realize new levels of what it means to be part of the community and what it means to show up in the community and what it means to learn from the community. And I feel Sometimes I feel like I could go further in that space, and and that that sort of is my 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 driver. And the way I get there is through being vulnerable and forming human connections, like the one you know we're having right now. And um, I'm just deeply appreciative and grateful for those moments. And I I want to be authentic and like go deeper into them because that creates the type of world that Shannon Block wants
0: to live in. What's um, next for What's next for Shannon? I mean, you're obviously you're having a great run at Skillful, and you're doing wonderful things there. But w- what is the long-term plan now? what What does she want to do? Does she want to start her own company someday? You want to be a CEO of a Fortune 500? What's What's the plan for Shannon?
1: uh so uh i'm enjoying this chapter i know i know that there will be other chapters i'm really deeply appreciative of the people that i work with now and the opportunities that they've given me um you know what what strikes me with the pandemic is just how fast we became virtual like we live in these little boxes people aren't going to the hospital anymore unless we're sick and thinking we need to be incubated you know like it's just accelerated the pace of digitalization and so you know long term you'll probably see me more in the space of not only how do people connect to opportunity in this world but how do we get the care we need like the mental care we need the health care we need in a way that um, still feels very human yet delivered virtually and i think there's going to be a lot of innovation in that space and i'm excited to help shape it
0: you know going personal just a little bit i uh, i have four grown children one of them is uh, about to be 26 years old. He, he came by, uh, yesterday morning for coffee and he's single, single lives in Fort Collins. And, uh, he said, dad, he said, you know, the biggest challenge is it, like being single during this. and like trying to meet people and have a social life is super hard. <laughs> and he was telling me how, it was like, how, how they figured out different ways to try to connect and, um different things and so yeah this this world that we're living in now how how to help people or how to get people the help they need even if it's how to connect socially because they're lonely or depressed or whatever I mean, there's just so many things right that, that come into play here when you're trapped at home especially if you're single and you live by yourself and I've thought a lot about that. I mean, thank God I've been married to my beautiful wife, Kim, for 21 years, old, 21 years and it's wonderful to have her here as we're trapped in our caves. But, boy, I feel sorry for the, I feel sorry for the single people. Like, oh, my God, I, if you're by yourself right now, and you can't even, like, go out, like, that's a killer. Anyway, uh, but to your point, being able to help people navigate through this new world, um, I think, is, is going to be huge. Uh, learning how to get them the help they need, helping them figure out how to navigate and do different things to connect. Good point, really great point. Um, Last question here. You know, if you were going to leave some departing thoughts for job candidates in this market, let's say they've been affected or maybe they're going to be affected later and they listen to this, and they're trying to find a new career in this crazy world we're living in. Um, what would you tell them today any any departing thoughts? you touched on it a little bit with LinkedIn already, but anything else for for the for this job market um, you've you've interviewed lots of people in your career, obviously you've hired lots of people. Any departing thoughts for job candidates
1: I mean, I think the biggest thing is really not underestimating the talent that you have. Like people can be their own worst critic, right? It's Mm -hmm. like, and they may think, oh, well, I don't have that experience or I didn't get that. But think about maybe you got it at a church or a synagogue, or maybe you were volunteering, or maybe you were helping a friend, or maybe you took an online course or, you know, there's so many different ways that we demonstrate the skills that we need to get to that next opportunity. That I would encourage people to to think a bit broader. You know, I went from cancer center to zoo to workforce.
0: You know,
1: <laughs> it's like if if I can do that, you can do that. You know, and so you're sort of inventorying the skills you 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 have, and and then if you're looking at a job description. Don't get so bogged down if you don't see the perfect words or the perfect criteria. Challenge yourself to think of what are the skills they're actually trying to express that they need and how can you demonstrate that you have those? And if that, if that seems too daunting, go to one of those free career coaches and just start a, a conversation about, about where you've been and where you might want to go.
0: Beautiful. You know, you know what I love best about your style? I've interviewed, I'm an older guy, right? So I've, I've dealt with all kinds of personalities, not just because I'm a former executive, but, but because we've had Ryderflex now for several years. What I love about your style is you're highly educated, you're super smart, you've been in an executive position, but your demeanor and your style is very down to earth, which probably is a big reason you've been so successful is because you can communicate and handle any level, any personality, any education, you don't come across as stuffy or, or anything like that. I love that about you, by the way. Love that. Love that. It's probably, uh, you're probably a perfect fit um, for what you're doing right now. Uh, so I appreciate your style is what I'm saying. Thank you. The Riderflex podcast features entrepreneurs, business executives, and the stories behind how they got there, as well as daily tips on career advice and job interviews. Our show can be heard just about anywhere these days, but you can visit riderflex.com and click on the podcast page to hear all the previous episodes and learn more about the recruiting and consulting services we provide. Contact us at the email address info at riderflex.com or 888-964-5876. Thanks so much for listening. And if you enjoy our show, please be sure to subscribe to our channel and like the episodes.